Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. And before we proceed any further, I'd like to take a moment to thank Bev Capshaw, who hosted the show in my absence last Wednesday and did a stellar job. Thanks, Bev. It's great to be back. And my guest today is Steve Coyle, founder and CEO of Elephant Care Unchained. I was gone last week to carry out a couple of professional commitments in Northern California. Chiefly, I had the great privilege of moderating several panels offered at the PAWS International Captive Wildlife Conference, a global gathering in Sacramento of scientists, advocates, veterinarians, professors, attorneys, sanctuary operators, and others who address an array of issues involving captive wildlife. The conference typically convenes every two years, but owing to COVID, last met in 2018. In the coming weeks and months, I plan to present an on-air conversations with a number of these conference speakers, starting today with Steve Coyle. Coyle has logged more than 35 years caring for animals, the last 21 years specializing in elephant care. In 2016, he established Elephant Care Unchained, a nonprofit organization dedicated to eliminating cruelty and improving elephant welfare across multiple countries. Since then, Coyle has helped elephants in India, Indonesia, Cambodia, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and Vietnam. In his conference talk, Coyle projected the zeal of a reformer mixed with the fragility and sadness of a realist who recognized it's still a long road ahead to reach major improvement in the lives of elephants globally. We'll hear his story, what more specifically prompted him to launch Elephant Care Unchained, and how he views the future when I speak with Steve Coyle in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I'll speak with Dr. Martha Placeris, who will lead the Florida Southern College Orchestra in a concert tonight entitled Musical Animals and Nature, described as a journey to explore the portraits of animals in music. We'll hear from Dr. Placeris about various aspects of the concert presented tonight at Branscombe Auditorium and the Robert Davis Performing Arts Center at Southern Florida College in Lakeland. That's coming up later in today's program. Right now, though, let's discuss elephants and their care and welfare from a global perspective with Steve Coyle. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Steve Coyle on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Duncan. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk about some elephants. Cool. Well, so in hearing your talk at the conference, it seemed pretty clear you've been an animal guy for eons, really, maybe all your life, pretty much. So to start off here, tell me the early Steve Coyle story, including the, the role animals played when you were a kid. Hmm. Um, as a child, you know, I've, I've always loved animals, you know, so now I'm, what, 46 years old, so I've always had a love for animals, and, and people always say, well, why don't you become a vet? Well, uh, I've never been smart enough to be a vet, really, and, <laughs> and, and vets, yeah, and, and vets are usually the, uh, the bad guy, right? And so um, I used to, when I was about 12, 13 years old, I used to fly down to a, to a goat farm in Tennessee. Uh, I grew up in Michigan. I used to fly down by myself. Uh, my mother had some friends there, and I used to work on a goat farm every summer for a few weeks. And that just kind of built upon different things, and it led me to get a, a degree um, in zoology, a Bachelor of Science, a major in zoology from Michigan State University. And uh, here I am today. Wow. Okay. So, but it sounds like the goat farm experience and just a general love for animals steered you towards the zoology degree, for example. I mean, it sounds like you thought, hey, this isn't just something I do on the summer. Is this just something that you know, I'm more seriously interested in, maybe want to pursue on a larger level? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, so I, I, I wasn't sure that my path, my direction um, 
what exactly I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, back in the day, you know, you, you, you go to college and you, you get a degree and then you kind of try to figure it out from there. Yeah. Um, there was, yeah. So but, that was, but, but you steered uh, yourself towards zoology. So you kind of had an inkling. It sounds like that you thought, well, uh, there may be something here for me. I was just going to keep going and see how this plays out. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was kind of the idea. You kind of get, a, you kind of get a, uh, inclination of your, uh, or, or my path that, that I kind of wanted to do. I, I knew I didn't really want to work in a zoo, but that was kind of the direction that I kind of ended up taking initially. Yeah, well, we'll get into that in a sec. But while you were in school and studying zoology, um, you, it sounded like you were thinking, okay, zoo, probably not for me, but we'll, we'll come back to that part of the story because it turns out that that did happen. But were there things where you thought, just by courses you were taking or other experiences that you had, where you thought, okay, this is, uh, I know I want to make my living somewhere in this realm. I'm still just trying to figure out exactly where I should point myself. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of, uh, it gave me kind of a, um, something, how do I say, um, getting a degree a lot, maybe it opened a few more doors. Yeah. Um, back in, back, so it, it kind of gave me some credentials in, in a sense, you know, so that was kind of my thought was to get the degree and then figure out what kind of animal direction i want to i want to go right so you, so you wanted so, such, such a long such a long time ago it's hard to remember exactly oh yeah. yeah no for sure yeah, yeah. but it, basically it sounded like you were trying to probably fortify things beyond just like well i did spend my summers uh working with goats and it's like okay well that's well, that's not nothing but it sounded like you were already aware at the time that you were going to head in a certain directions where a degree would be helpful probably pursuing whatever that direction t- turned out to be correct yeah, yeah. that was that that was the idea. Yeah. So tell me about your first job then working with animals once you uh, had graduated with the zoology degree. Well, my first, like, real, real animal job was at the Wild Life Way Station, which was in California there. Yeah. Um, I had volunteered at um, a, actually a, a big cat sanctuary. We talked a lot about that at that conference uh, this past weekend, um, which was interesting. Kind of yeah. at home a little bit because I, I was, that, that was, I'm really uh, familiar with that whole um dilemma the whole problem um so going uh, once i graduated I, I i went out to california had my 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 very dear uh cousin my, my my family out there and i spent time with them and was able to spend time at a, at a at an exotic animal sanctuary and then from there uh i ended up training dogs and, and staying at a, a dog place out there in california as well and how did you how did you kind of pivot from the exotic animal sanctuary to training dogs? Well, uh, a, a woman there uh, who was working at the uh, animal sanctuary knew of this place, um, and you know I was I was looking to kind of branch out and, and move on and, and do something else. And, yeah. Uh, and so there was there was an opportunity there, and um, I, and, I, and I took that and. I got my dog there, so that was that was that was great. Cool. And then um, while I was at the dog place, I was applying for different types of jobs, uh, zoo jobs. It was before the internet was really. Um, it, was, it was a lot harder back then to kind of uh, to, to kind of you know search for jobs and stuff. So I remember I, I had bought a, a book, a zoo book, and it had all the zoo uh, addresses. And so I, I put out, uh, I mailed my resume. By hand, you know, I wrote these letters and mailed these these letters to to so many zoos around the country. And then I found um, somehow I found a, a, a job um, at the Phoenix Zoo, and I applied for that. And I uh, had a, uh, had a phone interview, 
And then uh, I actually drove from L.A. to Phoenix to kind of uh, follow follow up, if you will. And I mm-hmm. think that's kind of what got me the job because I don't remember doing very good in the interview. But my willingness to come and, and, and meet the people, I think, is kind of, uh, you know, what got ultimately got me the job. That's interesting that, again, back in those days that uh, it would be unusual to – speak to a prospective employer, especially for a job working with animals, whatever, without necessarily being face-to-face. I mean, it sounded like you you did something that struck them as significant by driving out there and making, yeah. making a point of meeting them face-to-face. But what's also interesting is you had already said earlier and kind of describing a little bit of your history that it seemed like you weren't really inclined to be a zoo guy. And so how did you kind of shift gears from that being at least an earlier leaning to when you're trying to figure out what was next for you, uh, getting that zoo book and, and starting to apply to zoos? Well, I remember I had applied for like a, a park ranger or forest ranger job or something like that out there in California. I, I, I had done that, but I didn't want to, I wanted to do something with animals directly. You know, I was, I was training dogs, but I, I, there was there was something more that, that, I, that I felt I needed to do. And yeah. It just, it, it led me to the zoo, you know, and, and that's, um, I guess that, and then, you know, I met the elephants, and here I am. Okay. All right. Well, we're probably not going to skip over quite that quite that rapidly, just because yeah, uh, it no, seems no. seems like landing at the Phoenix Zoo, from what I can gather, and sort of what you alluded to the other day at the conference, that was an experience that would seem to be professionally pivotal for you, if not personally pivotal. It just seems like that that had a huge impact on you in all kinds of ways. So describe kind of what the job was like. Obviously, I'm sure it evolved over the, the number of years you were there, but sure. give us a sense of kind of what you were doing and what, what the more important aspects of your work there were for you. Um, well, initially, when I had applied for the job there, the, the area that I was responsible for was, uh, or part of the team, uh, was uh, elephants, orangutan, Ringtail lemurs and ocelots. So that was the the four animals that, uh, which was an amazing uh, uh, collection of animals to take care of on a daily basis. For sure. Uh, but and yeah, it seems like is it, is it just me or does it seem like a slightly odd grouping? Yeah, it just hap- it happened to be they called it like the tropics trail back then. And okay. These, these were kind of you know. Oh, so that, they're, they're, they're all located in the, in the same area around the zoo. So okay, so that has much to do with the layout of the zoo as what kind of animals they were in terms of kind your... Kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sounds like. Yeah. Okay. So, it, yeah, it was an amazing, it was an amazing, amazing animals, you know, and, uh, and so uh, I... As we evolved, you know, we realized that this, you know, orangutans need, need a lot more care. Elephants surely need a lot more care, and so we kind of ended up just doing elephants at that at that point, um, and you just uh, started to kind of specialize more in that, just because people recognized that's what the needs kind of called for. Correct, because you, you, what would happen is you would you, you were just rushing, you know, you, and you couldn't do a thorough job with any of these animals, and so you know, and then understanding how how complex and how much care uh, elephants need, um, you have to invest time in, into that. Yeah, and so that that's kind of the direction that. Uh, the zoo and the team uh, took. Yeah. And was that partly like, did you say, hey, if we're going to branch out a little bit and spend more time with some of these animals, I'd like to go more with the elephant side of things? Or was it just the way kind of the duties were divvied up? Um, it's my first couple of years at the zoo were very um, rocky, per se. I, I um, 
was not very happy with um, working with the elephants, to, to be honest. Oh, yeah, how come? Uh, that's, but, well, um, a person who was in charge at the time um, wasn't a very nice person, is what it comes down to. And had there, there were things that were said, um, you know, you don't ask elephants, you tell elephants what to do. And it kind of had, it kind of, um, we call them like old school people. Okay. So, and so it, it, it wasn't me. You know, you know, if I want an elephant to come over to me or to, to do something that I needed to do, why would I try to intimidate it? Why would I raise my voice? Why would I? That didn't make any sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so about a year into I, I was I was kind of done, to be honest. And it's a funny story that I actually had asked um, to go to transfer to go part time to work in the petting zoo because I was that unhappy Um with the elephants and, and the um, culture at the time. Right. Wow. So, uh, and so did, then the, did yeah, you make that the, shift? The zoo, the, the, well, the zoo made a decision to, um, you know, make changes. And so, okay. Then, so, uh, so it sounds like if I had to read between the lines here, the guy that, or the person that wasn't so nice to the elephants and maybe not so nice beyond that even got removed. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yes. And so, and so then myself and, and, uh, Another coworker of mine were there, and we had wanted to do so many things for the elephants. We wanted to implement all of these things, and so once we had the opportunity, uh, the program there took off, and we became uh, very well recognized, very well respected in, in, in the zoo world for, for many years. Uh, while I was there, we had uh, numerous workshops, elephant workshops. Uh, I think we had six, five, yeah, five, five or six international people from you know like. I think 12 countries came uh, throughout the, the, the different times. To see how oh, you yeah. guys were handling and, and exhibiting and, and just generally treating the elephants at the Phoenix Zoo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't really follow, we didn't really follow the, the normal culture of keeping elephants. Yeah. Which led, you know, which, you know, led, led me to, you know, when I met Catherine, it was kind of the, the, the idea, the mindset, and, you know, understanding that elephants need a lot more. I should point out that Catherine is referring to as Catherine Doyle, who uh, plays correct. a pivotal role yeah, at yeah. Paws, the uh, the um, sanctuary. Well, it's more, it's an organization that's been around for a long, long time, and part of that, they have a huge sanctuary in Northern California, and she was also the uh, organizer of the conference where I saw Stephen, where we met last week. Correct. So Yeah, correct. So, so uh, but she was with a different organization back then. And, right. Um, what, what, yeah, so when I met her... Um, I gave a tour to them and uh, kind of a very inspiring thing for them, I think, uh, because it, uh, me being transparent and having integrity and, and being honest about things, I think, was a, a breath of fresh air for what uh, she and, and her colleagues had been used to. Just because even then people were wary of the way that elephants necessarily had to live in zoos and they're just obviously there's just cool. cons constraints and limitations that cool. conflict with how an elephant lives its life typically correct correct that's i mean that, that's all captive elephants right so, yeah yeah so um yeah the idea was that we just have to do more we have to do more and and and, and give the elephants more and, and do a lot for them um and and did you especially at, oh go ahead steve sorry go ahead so, especially at, at that time, um, you know, it wasn't. It was very kind of a a foreign concept uh, to be doing all these crazy things. When I say crazy things, meaning all kinds of enrichment and all kinds of different, you know, just right. giving the elephants as much freedom as, as as we could. You know, 
our training wasn't so strict. We weren't so demanding of our training, you know, because ultimately these elephants, none of them signed up to be in captivity. Yeah. So, so for us to treat them in a very um, mean way, you know, like a like a prison guard would treat a prisoner, you know, like for us to treat them like that is not fair. Yeah. And so, we, and we and we understood that. And so, people who are really, you know, strict trainers or, or, or would have a problem with how we we worked with the elephant. You know, we're working together here. You know, they're not doing what I need. You know, we're working together. You know, it's kind of a mutual thing. Well, and it sounds like that you just kind of had an instinct for, or how best even to to treat those elephants, because even you're describing the thing where the person who then got removed couldn't believe that you weren't yelling and screaming at the elephants, and you were sort of even then kind of giving them some choice about where to be. I mean, that's now, of course, kind of a given concept in almost any captive setting. But it sounds like you just instinctively knew that was the way to, to treat and sort of if you had to call over the animal or do something that you just knew fundamentally, like that's a better way to do whatever it is that I'm trying to do. If I'm trying to like see if they need something or t- tend to their feet or, you know, whatever it was at the time, it just sounds like you just instinctively knew that's the way to give them some choice. Don't yell at them. Don't do anything yeah. ugly. And it sounds like you just sort of built on that, and that's, I guess, why the program took off in the way that it did and then had national attention where people were visiting to see what you guys were doing. Yeah, yeah that, that's, uh, that's, that's basically it. It, it was like for, for, for 23 months, my first two years there, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be who, I, who I was, but I, I wasn't able to be, right? And so once the, the, once the, once the, the opportunity presented itself, um, we just took it and ran. Yeah, never stopped, and we fought, fought, fought. You know, and became, like I said, um, pretty well respected. And so, how many years did you work at the Phoenix Zoo all told? I was at the zoo for fourteen and a half years. And what would you say, like over the course of those fourteen and a half years, what were the most significant things you learned during uh, that experience? The elephant, um, and, and the, the three elephants that were at the zoo. I talked about them a little bit at the, at the conference. Um, yeah, they had incredibly traumatized, troubled, uh, difficult past. They all had different stories, um, uh, and very sad stories, and they didn't get along, and they were dysfunctional. And, and, and every day you'd go there, and, and you're trying to earn a little bit more trust and, and, and you know, investing in the relationship with these, with these elephants to provide care for them. You know, and so that was an ongoing thing for, for 14 years, you know, um, and, and they were amazing. And, 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 you know, they inspired me to, to do this. And it's just, yeah, so there's lots of things um, that, that happened throughout, you know, 14 and a half years. That was like a third of my life at one point. Yeah. You know, every every Christmas, you know, I'd, I'd be at the zoo. The only time the zoo was closed, you know. And so, yeah, it was, um, I think, just working on the relationships with these elephants um, is kind of uh, the, the, the one thing that I take from the zoo. Yeah. And did, did it become clear to you sort of as, over the course of those 14 and a half years as you spent more and more time with the elephants? And even, like I said, early on, it seemed like you had an instinct for them. But that you might, did you kind of realize, hey, I might be so, have been sort of born for this kind of work? Uh, I, I remember in 2013 when I, when, I took a tri- when I took a trip to India and I went there and I saw how the elephants were living there. And I was shocked and appalled and, and, and really um, bothered by it. Um, and that kind of 
Because I always felt bad elephants at the zoo, but then you go and you see elephants living in a different situa- situation, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe it's not so bad here. So my, my whole perspective kind of changed a little bit. Um, but I also remember thinking that I could never leave the elephant. Mm. I'm not, I might not be needed because we had a good team in place, the culture was in place, people knew what was expected you know, to take care of these elephants at the zoo, but I could never leave them because I cared and loved them so much. Yeah. Um, and so, so, so that, that, that kind of changed my whole um, perspective, um, which is why I don't necessarily worry of when people label zoos, sanctuaries, all these things. It's about kind of what, what we're doing for the elephants. Yeah. Well, that, that leads me to a follow-up question, but let me just let folks know who might just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is Steve Coyle, founder and CEO of Elephant Care Unchained, a nonprofit dedicated to eliminating elephant cruelty and improving elephant welfare, really, across multiple countries. If you have a question for Steve about uh, his zoo experience or about some of the stuff we'll get into shortly about Elephant Care Unchained or otherwise about elephants, uh, I would just like to offer a comment. Please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So generally speaking now, with some years behind you of the Phoenix Zoo experience and and Mm -hmm. running your own organization, generally speaking, what is your view of zoos at this point? Uh, Zoos do, uh, you know, a lot of people that are out doing, I guess, it's hard to say because I guess it's just a label. Okay. There are there are zoo. I have you know I have elephant keeper friends that that are at zoos and and there are zoos that that do good care for elephants, right? And so you know in, in pretty much every place is a zoo in a sense, right? Even the sanctuaries technically are just bigger zoos in a sense. And so a lot of the skills that I learned I learned at the zoo. Yeah. You know, you know the passion and and the motivation. I didn't learn at the zoo. Right. You brought that to it. A lot of, a, a lot of the skills and, and you know, I, I wouldn't be who I, who I am today had I not been at the Phoenix Zoo. Yeah. Because of the, because of the elephant, because of their story. Yeah. And, 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 and knowing that, 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 that the captive elephant is a tragic story and it's not the elephant's fault that they're in prison or wherever they are in the world. It's not their fault. None of them signed up to be captive. Right? Yeah. So, I feel that I have a responsibility to help all of the elephants. You know, I'm, that's a that's a mighty large task, there, Steve. But well, uh, somebody somebody has to do it, right? right. So yeah, um, you're stepping up. It is, it is. But that's you know, if if I help one, it's worth it, right? Right. And I've, I've helped hundreds. So, and we'll get into more of that in a moment. But just in terms of your view of, the, of zoos, and, and I guess it'd be interesting as someone who worked at a zoo for several years. Tell me what people don't understand about zoos, whether those people are pro zoo or anti zoo. What is it that just working for for a better part of fifteen years at one, and obviously having sort of a you know behind the scenes glimpse and an understanding that most of us could never hope to have? What don't we understand about zoos? Um, I think a lot of the keepers really care about the animal, but I think there's also a disconnect, you know, uh, uh, the, the more sophisticated the animal, like a elephant, like a, a great ape, um, marine mammals, it's really hard to justify keeping them in, in a small space. Yeah. The more sophisticated, it, 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 you know, the, the, the less sophisticated animals, I don't, I don't want to take shots at animals or whatever, but <laughs> it's really, it's really hard to justify keeping elephants and great apes in, in enclosures. Yeah. You know, it, it, um, but they're there, right? There's not enough sanctuaries to take these animals. They're there. 
Right. And it could be, it, it, you know, you could replace the word zoo with circus. You could, you could replace it with sanctuary. You could, they're there. Yeah. So let's make it better until, until a different op- option comes up. So, um, the keepers care. Yeah. You know, and, and so it, 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 it's, it's, you know, there are bad apples everywhere and everything. Sure. You know, um, but, but your point is you know, there's, I, there's good apples. And again, some of those good apples are taking good care of elephants who, uh, uh, for whatever set of circumstances, did wind up in a zoo, and they're probably not, maybe in most cases, going to relocate to a sanctuary or elsewhere. So the the, keep, the people that are good people that are doing good work for those elephants should probably be, I guess, appreciated more than maybe a lot of people who are sort of just in a sweeping sense anti-zoo and especially maybe anti-elephant in a zoo probably don't recognize right. there's, there's some nuance there. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It, people, you know, they have a they have a care and, and a love for the for, for the animals, right? Um, and so, I fought hard to to remove my elephants from the zoo, right? Like I told the story. Um, yeah. Can you can you just uh, summarize that again? Because that's you know I think that's interesting. Yeah. By, by um, I want to say I was probably at the zoo maybe about eight years or so, eight years, seven, eight, nine. I don't know. It's been so long ago, but um, I was at the zoo for a good amount of time. And then knowing that the elephants didn't get along and they had to be in, rotate throughout the, the facility and, and the, the, the off-exhibit space weren't the best. And Anyway, it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. And so what I had done is I had uh, taken a trip to the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee, and I spent two weeks there. And nobody knew except my, my manager who was on board. Um, and so I went there kind of secretly but not really um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I met the people there, and I, I, I saw the facility, and I, it was—it's an amazing place. Yeah. Um, and so I came back, and me and my my manager, we we put a proposal together, and we 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 presented it to our bosses, the director as well of the zoo, and uh, we, we 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 made a good argument to send those three elephants to the sanctuary in Tennessee, um, and then obviously it didn't work, <laughs> but but we but we tried. Yeah, Which and was doesn't happen. Right. I don't know of any other keeper, you know, <laughs> saying, you know, what this isn't good enough. Let's send them somewhere else. Well, know, so. also because you're you're in a sense putting yourself out of business. Uh, I would think if you're like looking after the elephants and you're saying, let's send these elephants to this uh, sanctuary, and, and also I would think part of the probably the reason the, the proposal wasn't accepted is elephants, for better or worse, are obviously often kind of a marquee animal at, at a zoo so i'm sure people were correct were, 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 the, big, the, the big five right what they yeah. call it the big five or something yeah so yeah um so yeah so but um so that doesn't happen right so you know my plan was to go to tennessee with them <laughs> that was ultimately oh i what see I, what I, okay what I, what, I, what I was planning package um, deal yeah 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 well they nobody knew that i wasn't like i'm gonna go too then you know but Anyway, the, the plan, it was about the elephants and, right. and going there. So, because I cared about the elephants, I didn't want to like, just send them away and, and never see them. You know, for yeah. sure. Anyway, yeah, and so that's that, that's the story as far as that goes. And then you know, I, I went to India after that fact, and it just kind of just grew and grew and grew, and, and wanting to give more and do more for for, for the elephant. Right. So, well, so that brings I think to as good a time as any to to talk about you know sort of what prompted you specifically. Uh, to create Elephant Care Unlimited. Unchained. 
Unchained, yeah. I mean, sorry, um, unchained, sorry. No, that's, that's okay, that's okay. Um, I was actually fired from the zoo. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So th- Too many crazy yeah. ideas about trying to improve things for elephants? Correct. Yeah. Correct. I, I, be- I became a headache. It had nothing to do with my work ethic, my skill, um, anything like that. It was things that I su- supposedly say or say and things get taken out of context, you know. Um, so, anyway, the, the, the point is that elephant care unchained i'm unchained now i'm free yeah right because i was you know i'm the same person i was at the zoo um and i would still be at the zoo had they not fired me because i love those elephants right and so i could never leave them and so the, the zoo by firing me has helped hundreds of elephants in six countries so far um hopefully it'll be thousands you know in the next couple of years here and in, in, in more countries because uh, I, I could have never been as good at, as as big or as important as whatever you think, you know, had I still been at the zoo. Right. So it kind of turned you loose in a way to, to do thing on a much broader, in fact, global scale uh, that would have Correct. never happened if you were still at the Phoenix Zoo. Yeah. I always knew I could do more and wanted to do, do more, but you, you, you never got the uh, support. Um, yeah. Of of the zoo. Um, and so that's just kind of my struggle and my story. Yeah. So how, how does it actually work? Walk me through the mechanics of when you go to a certain country and to help one or more elephants, who contacts you or who hires you or how, how does it actually work? Um, it's, it's very different in, in any country that you go to, but I have people and organizations that, that, that know me and that I can reach out to in, in these different countries. Excuse me. And, um, what we'll do is we'll go to a temple, let's say either in India or Sri Lanka. They, they know these, these temples, and we go to a temple, and, and we talk to who's ever in charge. We kind of say who I am, wh- what we can do, what I can do. I, I have a little tablet with me, and I can, sh- I can share pictures. Because and, and, the things that we talk about is such a foreign concept in Southeast Asia. And so I have proof of things that elephants are doing. And so you, you, you go to it, and, and you try to implement you know, ways, ways to help. Um, you have you have to. It's it's very small. There's it's a small process. There's it, it, a process to it. Yeah, I, I call it kind of kind of planting seeds. You know, if I go to Thailand and you go into all these different elephant camps, you go to the sanctuaries. I have got there's a, there's a couple of really good sanctuaries in Thailand that I that I love and support, but they really don't need me. I just kind of go and enhance the elephants' lives there. Right. I see. I could go there and 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 just spend time there and 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 and, and hang out, but. I'm driven to go to the really, really bad places where if you do one small thing, it has a huge uh, positive impact on, on these elements' lives. So it, it really depends on where you're going and what country you're going, you know, where you're at. But ultimately, I think an easy way to understand it is to try to make whatever this is better. Yeah, but it, but it sounds interesting because it sounds like that you, in some cases, turn up places with your tablet and say, well, this is what I could do. You don't necessarily have an arrangement at that moment. Your uh, an arrangement sounds sounds like it's forged with those people when, when you show them what you can do or explain kind of how you could in, make things better for those particular elephants, and then they say, "Okay, yeah, let's 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 proceed." So it sounds like, in some ways, like you you head to some of these countries without necessarily knowing what kind of commitments, if yeah. any, you'll have. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that was uh, in Sri Lanka. I spent eight months in Sri Lanka, I was basically a kind of a traveling salesman, if you will, even though nobody's paying me. It's all from, from, from you know, from 
the donations that I receive going and, 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 and trying to help. So I'm not asking for money, but I'm, I'm acting like a traveling salesperson. So literally we would drive three hours to a temple to find the monk to get permission to work on the elephant. Sometimes the monk wasn't there. Sometimes the monk would think about it. Um, there was one elephant. It took me six months to get access to the elephant. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> by, 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 by constantly trying to find the monk. We knew it. We saw the elephant, but we couldn't do anything because we had to get permission from, you know, because a lot of the mahuts were, the mahuts an elephant keeper. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the mahuts um, were, were open and wanted to, but we had to get the proper permission. And so it was kind of a process, a never-ending process, and then ended up giving them um, booklets. I, I made these booklets, kind of like a picture booklet, to kind of open their 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 mind a little bit more to kind of the option, the the, the positive elephant welfare options that that, that that could be done potentially. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you got to so, be yeah. super flexible and super patient in some cases uh, when you're uh, on these tracks because it sounds like there's any number of scenarios that could unfold, including hanging tight for six months so you can get the permission from the, the monks that you can't locate for all that time. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, ultimately, you, you, once you establish relationships, you, you go and you help the elephant. Um, you know, depending on the country, like I said, you're in, that just happened to be the, the example of Sh- Sri Lanka. There are places that have elephants. You can go and, and work and, and work with their elephants and, and the staff there. Uh, but, yeah, you got to be flexible. You can't really make a plan. The frustrating part is not being able to help. Yeah. When you see when you see an elephant in, 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 in a terrible situation um, and you know you can help. I, I talked about that in, in the talk as well. And yeah. Not being, not being able to help is the worst thing in the world. When you, when you literally see the elephant right there. But over time, uh, the, since you launched uh, Elephant Care Unchained, I imagine you've been to some of these places where you, they know you, they have a presence. So some of that process, I'm sure, is shrunken down or eliminated because they already have a uh, knowledge of you and what you can do because the last time you were here, you did X, Y, and Z to help the elephants. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, yeah, the, yes. When you go to a place... Uh, and, and, and you demonstrate your skills, whether it's through videos or conversations or whatever. Um, they allow, you know, it, it, it's basically a trust factor at this point. Yeah. They, they have to trust, they have to trust me for, for two things, really, because generally Westerners, when they go somewhere, um, I go off the beaten path. So I go in places that pretty much nobody has been, but uh, there's a lot of places that Westerners go there, and and they see the elephant chained up, um, and they immediately go to social media and then talk about how terrible it is, and really criticize and really attack these people. Um, and then the other the other Westerners that go there want their picture and their selfie, and you know, to get the picture with the elephant. And neither of those are very very helpful to improving yeah. elephant welfare. Right. So when somebody goes there that can actually help, they've already been burned before. Right. So why am I any different? So that's the hardest thing is getting them to trust me. Right. Yeah. But over over some years, I would assume that that relationship and that trust is is being being built. Yes, that, that's that's the idea. That's yeah. the idea. But there's so there's so many elephants. Right. So many places, so many places you know, like, to go. Some, yeah. Some cases you're starting over. Really use my help. Don't want me there. You know, so that's. That's also the thing. Because they don't like some of the byproducts of what you'll do f- for those elephants? Or what, why are you persona non grata? 
it, it, it's a headache. They they know everything. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna attack. You know, say bad things on social media, which I never do. If if, if you notice, I yeah, I'm very protective of the elephants and the people uh, because they're trusting me, and I'm not going to betray their trust. Right. right. So, um, but yeah, just a headache. They don't know, and I'm I'm like an alien sometimes. You, you talk about you know, don't hit the elephant in the head. Maybe just give it some food, and they're like, "What? Like <laughs> things just don't things don't make sense to them." You know? Yeah. So there's there's so many factors involved. The language barrier. There, there's there's just so many. The, the lack of education. You know. Yeah. A lot of these guys can't even read and write. You know, and there's a lot of drugs involved. Also, there's just so many things. Wow. You know? Yeah, it's it's complicated. We should mention, by the way, that your organization, Elephant Care Unchained, the, the website that people should make a point of visiting if they're interested at all in what we're talking about here is elephantcareunchained.com. And also, Steve and Elephant Care Unchained is a big presence on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, etc. So you can check those out. You can just search, search those places for Elephant Care Unchained and find out more. And if you want to get get involved or help out or support his efforts you can do that through those uh, through those means so we're sort of nearing the yeah. end of our time uh, steve yeah. but um okay well just i always thought if you want to describe a recent case or two or just something just to kind of give a better sense of uh when you go there and whether you have to wait a long time or go through sort of you know some some delays of one kind or another uh because you can't speak to someone who has who has the rights to say yeah you can help that elephant uh, maybe you could just tell us briefly like like what what would happen in, in an ideal situation when you go to one of these countries what what kind of work that you do for those elephants i mean the idea i just want to say i have a youtube channel with over 100 videos or so of, of footwork and training and things if anybody's interested as well it's, anyway um i just want to throw that in there sure um Ultimately, the, 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 I guess the, the issue is the elephants are pretty easy. They do the things that they're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's trying to, I don't want to say change the culture, but tweak the culture in a sense. Because you know, a Westerner going to try to change the culture of elephants that have done these things for religious reasons or whatever, that's a hard, hard thing. Yeah. So the, the, the elephants will always do the things that they're supposed to do. If you give them the proper environment, they can be healthy. Um, and, and and they can and they can I don't know flourish, but they can they can be better off than they are. Yeah. Um. So that that's always the challenge is is, is working within these cultures, um, to to do things. Um, but the elephants are the easy part. Everything else is kind of nonsense. But how do you how do you convince a temple to either not have the elephant or to you know or, or, or to Give the elephant a little bit more freedom. How do, how do, how do you do something like that? It's yeah, really about te- it's really about teaching compassion. How do you teach compassion? Yeah. Well, when you're brimming with it yourself, uh, I think that's a pretty good place to start, which you clearly are and have been, obviously, for many many years from the get go. It sounds like really. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a tough it's a tough thing. There's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of emotions involved, but yeah. um, just how how to teach compassion, I think, is is a good. How do you, how do you make somebody not want to hit the elephant in the head. Right. And also, by the way, circling back to zoos and, and, and elephants and recognizing sometimes that's just not the place for elephants, one of our um, longtime elephant uh, fans and, and lovers and, and listeners wrote in to, uh, mentioning Ron Kagan, who was the director of the Detroit Zoo, sure. who was, several years ago did shut down his elephant exhibit and sent the those elephants to uh, to pause the Wiki sanctuary. Wanda. Yeah. Yeah. Wanda, yep. 
So, um, so it does happen. It can happen. So, gosh, I'm afraid we're at the end of our time, Steve. But maybe we'll talk again and pick up some of where we left off. But we've been speaking with Steve Coyle. Again, his organization is Elephant Care Unchained. The website is elephantcareunchanged.com. You can also find him on uh, that organization on Facebook, Instagram, and obviously YouTube. And there's all kinds of great images and things to, to see his work on behalf of elephants and, and their welfare. So, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you, Duncan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. In a moment, I'll speak with Dr. Martha Placeris about the musical Animals in Nature concert tonight that she'll lead featuring the Florida Southern College Orchestra presented at Florida Southern College in Lakeland. That conversation is coming up in mere moments right now that we're going to step into the comedy corner. This is longtime Talking Animals fave Brian Regan with a piece called Doctors and Veterinarians in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNL. My doctor looked at me and said, Brian, you are way too sedentary. So I vowed in that moment to get a dictionary. <laughs> but I haven't gotten around to it. You know, it's just been laying around a house. There's a lying around a house. Doctors specialize, right? Last month, I went to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Last week, I went to an arch of the foot, small of the back, nape of the neck doctor. I have fallen arches, my small's too big, and I have a trick nape. It's weird, in the human world, there's a doctor for every body part, but in the animal world, a veterinarian takes care of all animals and all their parts? It's gotta be the hardest job in the world. Where are the bighorn sheep knee doctors? The wildebeest gastroenterologists? The giraffe throat, throat, and throat doctors? That was Brian Regan in today's Comedy Corner. The piece called Doctors and Veterinarians, taken from his Netflix special, On the Rocks. Now it's time to speak with Dr. Martha Placeris about the musical Animals and Nature concert in Lakeland tonight that she'll lead featuring the Florida Southern College Orchestra. This is Dr. Martha Placeris on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Dr. Placeris. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for so much for listening to us. And I'm so excited to talk about our upcoming concert tonight here at Florida Southern College. Yeah. Well, first, it's a quick question or two before we get to that, which is, if I'm not mistaken, you're the chair of the music department at, at Florida Southern College, correct? That's correct. Um, uh, this is my first year, and um, um, I also conduct the uh, symphony orchestra here. At yeah. And how many concerts do you typically perform in a year? I know this is your first year, but how many is, is the tradition each year? Well, I, it's my first year as chair, but I've been here before as director of orchestra. Ah. Uh, the orchestra performs um, two concerts in the fall plus our famous Christmas gala. Okay. And then in the spring, we usually collaborate with the opera theater department. So we'll do a whole opera, and we also collaborate with the jazz area. And so we have a new um, 
orchestra called the FSC Studio Orchestra. So it's orchestra and jazz ensemble together. Oh, that's great. And then how did you decide on the idea for tonight's concert, Musical Animals in Nature? Yeah, so we usually have theme-based concerts here at Florida Southern. And for this semester, one of my favorite pieces ever to do is Carnival of the Animals. It's a very um, great piece, intriguing, so well composed, and has two pianos and a chamber orchestra. So I really wanted to do that. And then I said, well, you know, we're talking about animals and nature in general, so why not having the second half also have some pieces that portray animals or are based on animals. So that's how the uh, idea came about. And I just wanted to, of course, show that uh, we live in this beautiful uh, planet Earth and animals and nature are important for a human being. So what a wonderful way to uh, value them uh, through music. And does this partly reflect your own fondness for animals, Dr. Placeris? Yes, correct. That's great. Well, what a neat idea, and this sounds really great. And we should let people know, again, this is happening tonight, uh, as in you know, November 16th. The concert is at 7.30 p.m. It's at Branscombe Auditorium, the Robert Davis Performing Arts Center at Florida Southern Correct. College, right? In Lakeland? Yes, in Lakeland, Florida. So we'll start with Carnival of the Animals. As I said, it's a 12-movement uh, uh, piece uh, portraying different animals, uh, such as the lion and kangaroos and uh, elephant and the swan, et cetera, et cetera. Very, very famous piece. And then we move into the second half with a full orchestra, and we'll be performing four different pieces. Dances with Wolves, which is uh, based on the movie. Okay. And then we'll move into um, Hope is the Thing with Feathers, which is uh, music based on the poem by Emily Dickinson. Nice. Then we'll do Service Dogs March, which is a fun piece to play in, um, you know, thanking those service dogs, emotional service dogs. Sure. Also, uh, that help us. Um, and then we'll, we'll end with an excerpt of the Fiber Suite by Stravinsky, which is called The Dance In For Now. So you're all welcome to come to our concert tonight. If you are not available, you can also uh, watch our live stream. So you just go to YouTube. Festival of Fine Arts, Florida Southern College, and you'll find the link there. That's great. And if someone did have a chance to go last minute to the, to the concert itself tonight, where would they find tickets? Yes, they can just arrive to Branscombe Auditorium. The box office is next to it, and they can definitely get, the, get tickets there and enjoy the concert. Okay, well, that sounds great. It sounds like a <clears throat> terrific evening of uh, music, animal-oriented music on a different level than what we often feature here on this show. So thank you, Dr. Pacera, so much, and enjoy the concert tonight. I'm sure it's going to be terrific. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Okay, also in a follow-up to um, the organization that Bev Capshaw highlighted when she sat in for me last week, this Saturday... November 19th from 1 to 5 p.m. It is Dogs Allowed Thanksgiving Adoption event at the Crooked Thumb Brewery in Safety Harbor. So there'll be adoptables from Compassion Kind. There'll be 511 Food Company there, Donkey for Dog Bones, live music, pet trick contests, and adoption raffles. So that's all this Saturday from 1 to 5 at Crooked Thumb Brewery in Safety Harbor. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in. With Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music. And we'll just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. 
Meanwhile, on, on this show is the prize for Name That Animal Tune. We'll uh, offer something fabulous from the Talking Animals vaults to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. Let's name that animal tune on Talking Animals on WNI. some folks who can name that animal tune apparently we're gonna like gild the lily a little bit and uh put them on air and see if they can name that animal tune live on the radio hi you're on talking animals on wmf live you're on the air right now can you name that animal tune is this the rock lobster by the b 52 that's ex- Exactly right. Congratulations. We kind of did that in nod to the B-52s. I think we're playing kind of a series of farewell concerts. And uh, who doesn't love the B-52s? So what is your name? My name's Christopher. Christopher, I'm going to come back and get your information and send okay. you something cool from the Talking Animals Vault. Thank you so much. All right, stand by. great. Thank you so much. Okay, so we do have a winner in Christopher. And we have uh, just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. Hope you'll join me next Wednesday for another edition of the show. Also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there too, as well as on other podcast platforms. There are also links to our social media pages. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other scintillating news from the Talking Animals world. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind animals, be kind others, be kind yourself. This is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. Brandon, Clearwater Largo, Wiki watching me on. Scott Elliott's up after NPR News. Thanks.